I would say that a lot of usage guides go into excruciating detail about commas, and uh, I tend to try to keep things simple. Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage Podcast. I'm here with Paul Bryant, author of the Common Errors in English Usage website and book. I'm the editor of that book and host of this weekly podcast, Tom Sumner. Hello, Paul. Hi, Tom. Paul, I wanted to ask you about commas. Yeah, I had a lot to say about commas in my book. Well, I, I noticed you have an entry about commas in your book on page 62 and on your website under C. Now, I, I, uh, I was going to ask you about something that I read in, and I think you read it too. In fact, I know you read it. It was uh, from the introduction to uh, the book Between You and Me, Confessions of a Comma Queen, by Mary Norris, an editor for The New Yorker. Right. Uh, she, she has a, she's had this book out for a little while, and, and in the introduction to her book, she gives a nice overview of two schools of thought about commas, and this leads in very well to at least the first paragraph of your comma entry in the book. So uh, let's just, can I just read you this paragraph? Sure. Okay, so this is from Mary Norris. She says, The comma as we know it was invented by Aldo Manuzio, a printer working in Venice circa 1500. It was intended to prevent confusion by separating things. In the Greek, comma means something cut off, a segment. Aldo was printing Greek classics during the High Renaissance. The comma was a Renaissance invention. As the comma proliferated, it started generating confusion. Basically, there are two schools of thought. One plays by ear, using the comma to mark a pause, like dynamics in music. If you were reading aloud, the comma would suggest when to take a breath. The other uses punctuation to clarify the meaning of a sentence by illuminating its underlying structure. Each school believes that the other gets carried away. It can be tense and kind of silly, like the argument among theologians about how many angels can fit on the head of a pin, how many commas can fit into a sentence by Herman Melville, or, closer to home, into a sentence from The New Yorker. And uh, so she talks about in that paragraph, the two schools of thought about commas or what we generally understand about commas, uh, even if you don't have her to explain it to you. Um, there's, there are rules, there are set rules that you can read and usage guides that will tell you where to place commas by strict uh, d definition. And then there's the other more intuitive part of you that says, you know, if I'm reading this aloud or reading this to myself, I need to indicate there's a bit of a break here, a bit of a pause. And without knowing what the rule, underlying rule might be, you just automatically put a comma in there. Yeah, and I would say that a lot of usage guides go into excruciating detail about commas and uh, I tend to try to keep things simple. My book's called Common Errors in English Usage for a reason, that I'm trying to focus on the things that most commonly get people into trouble. So although I talk about a few of those standard patterns, I don't cover as many as a lot of other people will. 
because I think that most of the time people are going to rely or should rely on sound, on how it feels. If there's going to be a pause in the sentence, I tend to put in a comma. I probably use more commas than a lot of people like. I know I do because I get editors taking them out <laughs> all the time. And of course, it's important to know what your audience is. Are you writing for a teacher who has certain strong views on comments? Are you writing for an editor? If it's just private correspondence and you're much more free to follow your style. But uh, sometimes one has to stop and think. But most of the time, I think it, it helps just to feel the rhythm of the sentence. The introductory paragraph in my entry is, uh, follows this idea. The first thing to note is that the comma often marks a brief pause in the flow of a sentence and helpfully marks off one phrase from another. If you write, I plan to see Shirley and Fred will go shopping while we visit, your readers are naturally going to think that an announced visit will be to both Shirley and Fred until the second half surprises them into realizing that Fred is not involved in this visit at all. A simple comma makes everything clear. I plan to see Shirley, comma, and Fred will go shopping while we visit. People who read and write little have trouble with commas if they deal with English primarily as a spoken language, where emphasis and rhythm mark out phrases. It takes a conscious effort to translate the rhythm of a sentence into writing using punctuation. Uh, Paul, is it fair to say that you're you lean you you lean more to be toward being an ear person than a rules person? I guess I do partly because. Yeah. Um, I'm familiar enough with the rules that I don't really consciously think about them, but I also tend to trust my ear and to feel that uh, if it, if I would feel more comfortable with the comma there, I'm going to put it in. I'm not going to stop and think about, is this a case where the rule requires it? Mm -hmm. uh, well, I, I guess I'm a bit of both. Um, you know, I, I guess you're saying you are too. I, I might lean more toward, uh, I don't know why, but I might lean more toward thinking about the, the rules of inserting commas as I move along in writing more than I think about, uh, does my ear tell me to put it in? For me, it's almost as if the, the rule is, rules are so subsumed inside me that I tend to just write with the rules and then go back over it later and see if the rules have have set me straight or not uh, i think that's kind of backwards don't you <laughs> it seems like <laughs> well, well, most people would start with the ear they're just right and insert commas where they there's a pause and then go back later and say yeah you know i think the rule would tell me that i i should put a comma here yeah well whatever works for you i, I tend to do the opposite i tend to just put in commas wherever i want them uh, where they, they feel right. And then I go back over it and I look and I say, hmm, is this comma really necessary? So I wind up taking out commas instead of putting them in. I did want to mention, by the way, on that, that quotation that you aren't, uh, read from Mary Norris, and it was entertaining to hear her refer to Aldo Manuzio. Almost nobody knows that as his name. He's known as Aldus Manutius, as most Renaissance scholars use Latin names and Latin versions of their names. And of course, his Aldus has became the name of the corporation that developed PageMaker, the first page layout program, made it very famous. So she's really being perverse and 
a little bit pretentious to go back and use the Italian version instead. Well, she is from the New Yorker after all. Right. <laughs> and uh, the New Yorker audience, you know, might might more appreciate that bit of pretension than others. Uh, uh, yeah, and Aldous, uh, PageMaker, of course, was bought by the software manufacturer that we all know, Adobe, and uh, became Adobe PageMaker later on. And, of course, now it's by now it's been uh, completely replaced by Adobe InDesign. That's the lineage there. Uh, but many of us learned all about Aldous uh, Manutius by through that uh, software piece of software page maker. Um, the the other thing I was thinking of uh, in that sentence, or, or excuse me, in the um, yeah, excuse me, in that in that same sentence. So let's read that same sentence again. I'll insert commas as I go along, okay. and I, I won't do the Victor Borga thing of yeah, you know right, the right. Sa- sounding out the punctuation. I'll just tell you when a comma comes along. Uh, the comma, as we know it, was invented by Aldo Minuzio, comma, a printer working in Venice, comma, circa 1500. There's a couple of commas in there, or there's a one comma in there that I'm not sure I would put. That second one yeah. seems odd to me. I mean, I, I can see her logic in that the two things, like the second one doesn't modify the previous sentence, Venice, um, but they're so short. And so much about this is where and when this happened. But I think most of the time when we write that kind of thing, um, he was born in Kentucky in 1745. Yeah. You know, it would be all one phrase. Yeah, he was born in Kentucky in 1745. No need to set off the in 1745 by a comma. It just flows right in with the whole thing. In that case... In, of course, introduces the whole phrase, so that makes it more clear. But it, that seems to me a good example of somebody consciously following a rule, which is a New Yorker rule, um, and, and where it's not natural mm-hmm. for most people. Well, let's just talk about that rule for a second. Now, Aldo Muzio is his name, and there's a comma following that. And the phrase that follows him, follows his name, that's set up by commas as a printer working in Venice. And uh, if I go back to my uh, ninth or 10th grade grammar lessons, I remember that, that those two commas separating that phrase, uh, the phrase itself is called an, a positive, meaning something that uh, sort of renames or relabels the thing that you just mentioned. Now, uh, the reason why I don't necessarily go with that second comma is that uh, a printer working in Venice circa 1500, to me, could be argued, is still all part of the same phrase. Uh, it's all one lump. He worked in Venice in around 1500. Um, I, I'm not sure that I really need to have that second comma to further define that we're just Aldo Minuccio was just the printer working in Venice, and then circa 1500 is... Um, Partly it's telling you when the comma was invented, but he also was a printer working in Venice around that time, sort of obviously. Uh, the comma just makes me stop for almost no reason. Right. Um, however, that reminds me of uh, another passage in my entry on comments I'd like to share that um, is, uh, often causes people problems where they do have something that really interrupts the sentence and needs comments on both sides of it. Commas often help set off interrupting matter within sentences. 
proper term for this sort of word or phrase is parenthetical. There are three ways to handle parenthetical matter. For asides sharply interrupting the flow of the sentence, think of your own examples, I put that in parentheses, use parentheses. For many other kinds of fairly strong interjections, dashes, put a dash, if you know how to type them properly, dash, work best. Milder interruptions, comma, like this, comma, are nicely set off with commas. Many writers don't realize that they are setting off a phrase, so they begin with the first comma, but omit the second, which should conclude the parenthetical matter. Check for this sort of thing in your proofreading. This is one of the most common things that I found in student writing essays. They get that first comma and then just lose their way in the rest of the sentence and forget that they were in the middle of an interjection. Well, the, yes, when you're in the middle, when you when you interrupt the flow of the sentence and you have insert that parenthetical matter, you have to remember to put that second comma in. And I will um, admit that that's a huge flaw of mine. If I go back and reread my emails before I send them off, which uh, I try to remember to do and everybody should do, uh, I find that I have dropped that second comma just in the heat of the moment, just trying to get the sentence out. Um, obviously, I was mindful of the of the rule or the or the standard of of inserting the setting that phrase off by commas, but uh, it got sloppy at the end there and just picked up the sentence without inserting that second comma. So it's important to go back and and reread for that. And notice that I emphasize in my examples that you've got some choices here that you can use parenthesis marks, you can use dashes, you can commas depends on how strong the interjection is and that's the kind of thing that does take conscious thought you want to uh, say well is this really a complete aside that is quite an interruption or is it just a major minor pause i'd like to also go back and do a footnote on the way i wrote that first paragraph i read uh, the example about shirley and fred going shopping yeah i do want to go back to that because um, I just wanted to point out that I do go to some lengths to try to get some gender balance into my writing so that um, I try not to have women always doing stereotypical female things and men doing stereotypically male things and try not to have always one gender or the other dominating the examples. So and anybody could go visiting but usually shopping is associated with women, so I thought, why not have Fred go shopping just to make it a little different? It helps the example, too, because uh, it, it really drives home the point that if you don't have the comma, uh, the whole thing, the whole sentence <laughs> just completely falls apart. And you don't really expect to see Fred go shopping while the, you know... I'm going to see Shirley and Fred will go shopping. You don't know who I is either. You don't know the gender of that person. So the whole thing gets kind of uh, flipped on its head because uh, you, you might think um, uh, if you're male, you might think the I is is male. And if you're female, you might think the I is female. Well, if you since since the whole thing is in flux here and, and which gender is doing what and what stereotypes are being followed or what stereotypes are being flipped on their heads, uh, the exa the comma just really, really uh, has to be there for uh, almost a psycholinguistical reason, too, not just a straight-up 
you know, follow follow the rule. And I'll just I want to also say there is an underlying rule that you could apply here, and this is one happy circumstance where the ear will tell you and the logic will tell you and the also the all of the usage guides will also tell you that if you have two complete sentences two complete clauses two complete clauses each containing a uh, yeah each containing a subject and a verb which actually doesn't have to be a complete sentence you're right so if you have two complete clauses on either side of that conjunction and or but you need to put the comma in to separate those two complete clauses, each having a noun and a verb. So uh, I plan to go see Shirley, uh, as it has a subject and a verb, I plan. Uh, and Fred will go shopping while we visit. Fred will go shopping. That's a complete uh, clause with a subject and a verb. So you have the conjunction between them and put the comma before and, and you've applied a comma rule, whether you are aware of it or not. I also um, like to use real names. I put a lot of in-jokes into uh, my writing for company artists because it, it can get repetitious just doing these things. I know of one um, writer who, who just uses the same sample examples in her sentences over and over and over. I really try to, to change it up. But one of the things I do is refer to people by name that I know personally, either relatives or friends, acquaintances. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been periodically writing little explanations of those on uh, blog. <laughs> I've been writing... Uh, explanations of those little footnotes on the blog about some of these entries that have in-jokes in them so other people can share them. So if you're interested in knowing the stories behind some of my examples, you should check out the blog. One of my examples um, is that I use the, the case of Weichi in W-E-I-C-H-I as a Chinese name in one of my examples and referred to him as uh, in connection with the harpsichord. Now, Weichi was actually a technician who worked with me as a computer tech in on a World Civilizations project. I was very fond of him. But he also had a wife who played the pipa, which is a Chinese lute, and was a wonderful musician. And I thought, well, let's see, let's just take Weichi's name associated with his wife's musical talent and instead of a pipa, which most people wouldn't know about, so I'll make it into a harpsichord. They're both plucked instruments. And voila. <laughs> okay. One other place that commas caused trouble for my students was in the writing of dialogue. Now, most people don't write dialogue unless you're writing a play script or a movie script or a short story or something like that. Uh, it's not common, but because my students were often writing about literature, they often had occasion to render something from speech. And there are a couple of different places where you need commas. One is in when you're introducing the quotation with words like, uh, he said, she remarked, they shouted. And uh, my sample uh, that I've come up with this morning is Dr. Howard asked, does it hurt when I poke your eye like this? <laughs> you get the illusion. <laughs> and um, so it's Dr. Howard asked, comma, does it hurt when I poke your eye like this? You shouldn't just run right into the 
the quotation. I need that whole comma to separate it. And then once the quotation has begun, if there's an interjection of the sort that usually occurs only in speech or in rendered uh, written versions of speech, then you need to come after that. So that my second example is Larry said, hey, quit poking my eye. And yeah, Larry said, that needs a comma. But then, hey, you need a comma after hey, too, or an exclamation point. But at any rate, it needs some kind of a pause. And often that gets dropped out with people who aren't used to writing dialogue. Yeah, right, right. And uh, there's also a, um, a, a little sub rule there uh, where you don't need the comma when you were quoting somebody. Uh, if you haven't formally introduced that quote with a he, a he said yes. or a she said, for example. Right. right. And that's something that uh, is very handy to know. That you, when you are quoting somebody, you do not have to quote the whole sentence. Mm -hmm. It's very often that the tense of the verb or the number of the person or something else at the beginning of the quotation doesn't fit well, flow in the context that you're putting it in. And so what you can do is just trim out that part and start the quotation in a part that, that makes sense grammatically with the way you've already been writing. Exactly. It can fit right into the flow of what you're talking, what you're saying, and use another person's words to fill it out. And it, it's, a, it's a little trick that sometimes adds a little more gravity to what you're saying if, if some authority has, has said it. Uh, and you could use that authority's words. It's something that professional writers do all the time, but I almost never see in amateur writing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Do we want to talk about the Oxford comma? Uh, I'm not sure if we do or not. We can talk about the Oxford comma. I don't have a lot to say about it. It's also called the serial comma. Serial comma, yeah, which I have heard. And, you know, uh, I mean, we're, we're sort of giving a... we're. What we're doing is we're skipping around some of the various problem areas of commas, but we are not, um, I want to be clear, we're not going to be able to hit on every every comma usage in this conversation, but why not spend a couple of minutes talking about the Oxford comma? What do, what do you think? Yeah, what do you think about it? Do you use the Oxford comma? I generally do. Okay. But people get really excited about this. That's the reason I thought maybe we should mention it. Because yeah. somebody would be sitting there talking about commas. Are they going to talk about the Oxford comma? Let's not disappoint them. We'll talk about it. Oxford comma is a snobbish term that people who, who use the Oxford comma use, but I don't think anybody else does. And, 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 and it's so unhelpful as a term because right away you translated it as serial comma, and that was smart. Because that makes sense. Oxford comma makes no sense. But the idea is a, a, a standard use for commas is to separate the items in a series. Cats, comma, dogs, comma, and gerbils. Mm -hmm. Authorities differ as to whether that final comma before the and is required. Follow the style recommended by your teacher, comma, editor, comma, or boss when you have to please them. But if you're on your own, I suggest you use the final comma. It often removes ambiguities. This is usually set up in discussions as an either-or situation with people saying, there are so many terrible cases where ambiguities arise because you don't use it. And in fact, when you start looking really close, it's hard to find sentences where a serious ambiguity is introduced because the comma is missing. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and on the other hand, people who just disdain it and, and say that it's just it interrupts the flow and it's just unnecessary, blah, blah, blah. I don't really care one way or another. I was brought up teaching to put it in. And I figure you're, the number of people you're going to offend by putting it in is much smaller than the number of people that it, that you'll offend if you leave it out. And it really doesn't matter one way or another. I would say don't sweat the small stuff, but just know what your audience expects and desires. There is a, uh, if you if you look at the AP style guide, which is generally used for newspapers, uh, they they don't like that, that second comma. They don't like the comma before and mm-hmm. in the list, that final comma. Uh, if you look at Chicago Manual Style, uh, which is generally used for book editing, they do like the final comma. Now, this, these things, these are favored. They're not uh, not hard and fast rules necessarily. But uh, can I go back to Mary Norris for a minute? She, in her introduction to her book, also talks about the serial comma. And f- uh, these are not her own examples. These are uh, easily found on the Internet. Uh, some hilarious examples, some things that can come up where uh, if you drop that second comma or that final comma, you may end up saying something that you had no intention to say. So one example she comes up with is, uh, uh, this book is dedicated to my parents, comma, Ayn Rand and God. Uh, it sounds as though Ayn Rand and God are that person's parents, uh, rather than a list of three people. It's dedicated to my parents. Yeah, it would have been a very unhappy marriage to have an atheist married to God. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. So, so uh, yeah. The, the, of course, the correct, the corrected way with the serial comma would say this book is dedicated to my parents, comma Ayn Rand, comma and God. Uh, you may find that you are, uh, when you had the intent of making a list, you actually created an a positive. Uh, there's one other good example here. Um, uh, and there was the country and western singer who was joined on stage by his two ex-wives, comma, Chris Christopherson and Waylon Jennings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one's a little more plausible. I can't believe anybody would write that first one. The second one, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't. Well, the other example she gives is we invited the strippers, JFK and Stalin. <laughs> <laughs> right. So almost all the examples that I have found, and I've read all of those, um, on the web are invented to be funny. Well, yes. Yeah. And I, they, it really just doesn't happen that often in natural writing. It, it just exemplifies that there's uh, uh, the people, well, you know, these are being created by people who are hugely in favor of the Oxford comma. They want that comma put in. So uh, they'll find, they'll create hilarious ex- examples that people would never actually do, which I don't know if that helps their argument or weakens it. <laughs> I, I tend to like it though. I, I I use that third comma. The other the other thing is if you or the the final comma. If you if you are creating lists and you are putting the comma in before the end, um, try to try to be consistent about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It drives me nuts uh, aesthetically when I go back and I get a letter from somebody and it's obvious they haven't made any decision about this one way or the other. They just know sometimes they just put it in sometimes and they don't put it in sometimes. And in as an ed, an editor will bristle at that certainly. All right. 
that's all I have to say about commas today. Okay. Well, I think that's enough to say about commas for one day, isn't it? We can talk more about commas on other days. But uh, I think this has been very illuminating for me to, to go through and talk about some of the examples from your book and to mention a little bit of what Mary Norris says about Thomas in her introduction to her book. So thank you, Paul. You're welcome. Talk to you later. That'll do it for the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. Send your comments, questions, and feedback to commonerrorspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.